Hey podcast and welcome back to another episode of the MTB Fitness Podcast. Now I'm sat here with Cole again today and um, you might remember him from very early on in the podcast, Cole Williams. So Cole's been around in the mountain bike industry for wor- for, for worlds, for years. Um, he started out racing various different categories, cross country, road, downhill, he's done it all, literally all of it. And now is the owner of Fly Distribution who distribute KTM bikes, Pookie bikes, which are kids' bikes, and Ursus wheels. Um, so he's a really, really interesting guy. So today we talk about all things from fitness and e-bikes, training. We talk about loads of stuff. So I hope you really, really enjoy the episode. This week, there's going to be another episode back up on Wednesday and Saturday. So there's going to be two this week. So we are on it now with the MTB Fitness Podcast. <laughs> so uh, I hope you really, really enjoy the episode. If you're listening to this sort of at the beginning of the week, then there'll be another episode out on Wednesday. And I'm also going to bring one out of the weekend as well. Those two will both be me. Um, chatting with the mic so it's going to be good and we've got some good guests lined up for after that as well so yeah so good all go so enjoy the episode with col and i'll see you on the other side so col welcome back to the podcast Good to see you again. Yeah, it's good. It's going to be a good chat today. So you were due to be at the Mulvans, weren't you, this weekend? And it's obviously uh, had to be cancelled. Yes, uh, all changed. We were all uh, packed up, ready to go, vans loaded. Um, a little bit apprehensive about the mud. We'd be buying extra buckets and sponges <laughs> to deal with four days of cleaning e-bikes. Um, but yeah, we saw the video online on the what was it Thursday morning that they pulled the plug. And yeah, we all sat around a little bit shell-shocked. Uh, because we've been looking forward to it. It Such was a sh- shame as well, because it's taken him like a year, hasn't it, to plan it all, and I know he does it full-time pretty much, doesn't he, like just organising it, so it must have been an absolute nightmare for him. Yeah, we did feel for Sai, because it's, uh, I mean, they've had bike races at Malvern for, well, since the sort of early 90s, I think it really started, and I've been there when it's been wet before, and it's it's not a pleasant place to be, because the grass just gets everywhere. Um, but I think this is the first time they've had that much rain that intense in the week before an event which meant just getting people in and out would have been a nightmare and it wouldn't have been enjoyable for anybody and it would have ruined the park and it's obviously a deer park and stately home and everything else that goes with it for the rest of the year so they can't trash the grass because they never get invited back so i think it was the right decision but yeah it's a real shame because they have invested a lot of money a lot of time and but i think the mountain bike community is such a you could see the outpouring of kind of like yeah. help from everybody and also wanting to try and make sure 2020 is better i mean we've already said to them look just keep the cash put us down for next year we'll be there um and i've got a feeling that most people will do the same because it's it's an event for the whole industry and for the community it's not just about kind of the business decisions that Cy puts into it but hopefully yeah it's for the best yeah it was great last year there were so many people there weren't there and just so many companies and the atmosphere was amazing so I think things like that are great for the mountain bike industry I know you've got things like Ard Rock and stuff like that but to the best of my knowledge there's no real mountain bike festivals that you can just rock up like the Malvern so hopefully it'll it'll continue and it'll carry on yeah I think last year because it was year one for Cy was a real um, test for everybody there was quite a few of us who remember Malvern's from back in the day and it really being not necessarily about the racing and about it being the best tracks or the most extreme or anything but it was about just having a, a laugh and getting back to riding bikes so you might have you take the one bike and you'd use it for the dual slalom and the four cross and the kind of like lake ride and that kind of stuff and you just have a few beers with your mates and 
it's a good chance for the industry to do like an expo kind of thing and everyone test ride bikes and all that kind of stuff all in one place in a relaxed atmosphere doesn't cost a huge amount of money i mean compared to exhibiting in the nec it's thousands to be there and it's yeah. not a nice environment and it's it's much better to be in a field mm-hmm. actually able to ride bikes so yeah last year because the weather was so good it was a really good starter for the festival hopefully so hopefully 2020 it'll be back and be better because we have been just really unlucky with the weather this last few weeks it's been yeah. horrible so. they put it a bit later haven't they i think they put it to august or july i think yeah, it no, it's august, next year august, august bank holiday, went, bank holiday yeah weekend, so yeah. that should be better from the weather point of view anyway shouldn't well, it i mean it's brilliant so you can never really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be too optimistic but i don't think um yeah you can always be unlucky um and people are aware of that i mean there's no point being a mountain biker and being afraid of the rain you have to kind of get into it but it just makes it from an ex- exhibiting point of view and yeah. also doing all the test rides. I mean, the, the way they do the test rides there is brilliant. People sign up, they pay the fiver, you get a wristband, and then you just get to go and ride as many bikes as you want. So people turn up at our stand, they, get, they show us the wristband, they take a bike, they come back an hour later, give the bike back. It's brilliant. Um, but it does mean if you've got muddy bikes and there's jet washes in limited facilities, it mm. just means that everything gets trashed. People aren't enjoying the test rides. They'll only do a couple because they've just got absolutely covered in mud. Yeah. Whereas on a good day, people were test riding like eight different bikes. Yeah, they were literally just non-stop all day, weren't they? Yeah. Like in and out, in and out. I think as well, if anyone had any accidents, I know there was an air ambulance there last year, as happens with mountain biking. But, you know, if you need ambulances and stuff like that, it would have been a nightmare just getting stuck in the mud and everything, wouldn't it? So I'm sure, I know he said on the video it was an easy decision for him to make. And I didn't think it means that because it was, it just had to be cancelled. Like he knew that it couldn't work out. Yeah. So a lot of people have listened to your first interview, um, but for those who haven't, give us the short version of who you are, your background. I know you've been racing for years and you've worked in the industry for years, so give us the like one minute ab- abridged version of who you are, and then we're going to chat a bit about training and nutrition and all that kind of thing. Okay, so uh, yeah, I started racing mountain bikes in the late 80s, which was pretty much when it first started. Um, Cross country was all there was then so I raced cross country until I was a went to university sort of mid 90s got into downhill raced downhill um national level did a couple of world cups in the early 2000s got a little bit bored of doing the same tracks over and over again so then started racing enduro when that first kicked off did things like the mega avalanche all that kind of stuff um and then gradually got to a point where running race teams turned into a, a job so that went from being just race team management to actually UCI race team management to some of the brands we were working with wanting an importer, not just a sponsor. And then, yeah, I've not had a proper job for 15 years. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been good. That's a life. Yeah. <laughs> so Cole runs Fly Industries now, which I'll have said on the intro anyway, but um, the biggest brands are the... Uh, that they distribute for, or sales agents for, but the biggest brands that they handle are KTM bikes. They do all KTM and Pookie as well, the children's bikes, and there's various other brands that they handle. But KTM bikes, if you ride a KTM in the UK, that's going to have come through Cole in some some kind of way. Um, so you've just released the Prowler, I say you, KTM have just released the Prowler, haven't they? Because I know, to the best of my knowledge anyway, what I knew of KTM was more cross-country-based bikes. So they were all 100, 120 mil travel in the UK that you saw at least, and there wasn't really the more trail enduro bikes on the trails in the UK is that right and now the prowlers come out so tell us a bit more well you're not the first person to say that and it is quite interesting we met a guy uh, last week up in the Peak Districts and he was like oh I didn't know KTM made kind of like enduro trail bikes and I was like oh we are making progress because five years ago people said I didn't know KTM made bikes yeah <laughs> so we're getting there now yeah, the um, the evolution of the brand has been it just 
changes for different countries essentially so we did we have made downhill bikes and we have made 150 160 mil travel trail bikes it's just they were like five six years ago so at that point ktm was still quite new in the uk so we did sell a few but it wouldn't have ever really got on people's radar you have to sell thousands of bikes every year for eventually it to start cropping up on people's radar um so yeah the problem is an evolution from the old bike which is called the lycan lt um which yeah i raced in Jura on for a couple of years we sold quite a few of them it went quite well but the Prowler, because it was the new carbon bike and just things take time to get from the drawing board to production. And then suddenly the industry goes 29 and something else changes and something else changes. And you eventually find that the bike you originally started to design is out of date before it even makes production. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of reasons for delays. Um, but yeah, the Prowler we first saw in, I think it was late 2017, maybe. I've lost track of what year it is because we're we're doing 2020 stuff now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you just lose track. Um, so yeah, the Prowler's been on the drawing board and in prototype phase, it's been at Eurobike twice before it even made production. And yeah, we finally started shipping just before Christmas. So dealers have had them since before Christmas, but yeah, it just takes a while to start to filter through to the trails. Yeah. So yeah. I know Ozzy, who I ride with, who Cole knows as well. Um, so Ozzy's been on a KTM Scarp, I think the cross country bike. So he's been riding that for the past 18 months. And then he's just gone onto a Prowler and he's absolutely flying now because I've been on kind of like a trail enduro bike. He's been on a cross country bike. And then we've been like obviously trying to keep up with each other and race each other. But being on a cross country bike obviously makes it that bit harder because it's not built for fast downhills as such. But now he's on the Prowler, he's absolutely flying because he's gone from a bike built for being rapid up hills and for more regular trails, if you like, and he's absolutely flying down the hills now. But it's 29, what get? Yeah, 29 inch wheels and 150 mil travel. Is that yep, right? That's right. Yeah. So we've the Scarp is a 90 mil travel kind of cross country race bike, yeah. but it. it it's a bit more marathon friendly than just full on ACO yeah. short travel stuff, but it is still kind of steep, slightly higher bottom bracket, designed to be a lightweight, fast riding bike. Whereas the Prowler is just a, a much more aggressive machine. So you've got wider bars, shorter stem, slightly shorter top tube, slacker head tube, slacker seat tube, lower bottom bracket, uh, longer wheelbase, and it just because of that, it just eats terrain. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. Flies. I know he's been flying down the hills. What's your opinion on the whole 29 versus 27.5 inch wheels? And you'll notice at the Down World Cup, there's been some mix, hasn't there, with a 29 on the front, 27 and a half on the back. Like, what's your, where do you stand on on all of that? I am uh, not afraid of change in the sport. It's been something that every single year, I think I remember being on Le Campton and Lynn Cheltenham in about 1990 two let's say probably earlier than that 91 maybe and someone saying oh you don't need disc brakes for downhill no don't need disc brakes for cross for mountain biking and someone else saying you don't need suspension for mountain biking and look where we are now so yeah it the wheel size thing um i do i mean it, it does change things like if you go for a ride around the peak district around here yeah you can ride a 26 inch hardtail fully rigid bike fixie like single speed and you'll still get around and if, as you move through the technology and you put front suspension on or you put disc brakes on or you put bigger tires on, or you do all these things, you're going to find that you can get faster and faster and faster. And now we're basically riding 29er carbon, like long travel bikes that are quicker than the downhill bikes I used to race on. And so eventually the limiting factor becomes your ability or the kind of um, 
like you can basically just ruins the trails in some ways like you basically can just roll down it yeah. it's not too hard yeah so there is that side of it but yeah for me things getting better is not something to be afraid of yeah yeah and they're definitely i mean if you are very short or like there's certain things that aren't going to suit your riding style or your needs and no one should feel as though they have to have a 29er Do you mm-hmm. know I mean? it's not like it's a people should be looked down upon for riding a 26 or even like i mean remember specialized bigots when he has a 26 inch front and a 24 inch in the wheel so yeah there's always been people trying to find ways of making things faster or better or whatever and it's just good i think for the majority of riders as well it's nice having that safety blanket so like as you know i ride a yeti sb6 which is 160 mil travel front and back and i'm nowhere near the limits of the bike whenever i ride like i'm just not you've got your top enduro guys racing it to the absolute limit but i quite like the fact that when i cock up and i take a wrong line and i hit a massive boulder the bike just eats it up whereas if i was on a 120 mil travel bike i know i'd be having more crashes um, and i'd come off more so for me and i'm sure for a lot of people as well while i don't necessarily need a 160 mil travel bike i like the fact that it keeps me safer and you feel more comfortable on it so i agree with you that sometimes it can ruin the trail if you like because when you're on a trail with just little rocks or whatever you just fly down it and you can just point and shoot um but i think for a lot of people riding it's probably a good thing because you, you don't come off as much you don't get injured as much the bike saves you in a lot more situations and i'd much rather have too much bike and not enough skill and really work on building my skill up to narrow that gap if you like rather than be at the absolute limits of the bike every time i ride because i know that as soon as i cock up if i'm daydreaming or whatever i'll be much more likely to come off so i think for most riders there's there's, there's benefits of that as well yeah it's true it's fair enough yeah i think I've, I've come at it from years of downhill racing i suppose where i i know where my limits are in yeah. a way on a trail sometimes and if i'm pushing especially on like a Peter Street bridle way it's like well if I'm pushing those limits on the prowler particularly Mm. then I'm going pretty fast whereas I can get the same kind of level of buzz and be on the edge on a carbon hardtail and and not actually be causing anyone or even myself as much likely of getting so much risk. So it just, you're right, yeah. different yeah. people, different problems. And I know we can ride together and I'll be on my Yeti. You could come on a scarf and we'll be at the exact same speed. Like you'll be in front or I'll be in front and we can both keep up with each other because you're a lot more skilled, a lot more experienced on the bike. Um, I think the key is to buy the bike that... It's to, it's to not go for the trends, if you like. So don't go for the big travel bike just because you think you need a big travel bike or don't go 29-inch wheels just because that's the way the industry's going. I think it's buying the right bike for you and knowing the reasons that you're, that you're buying it. Um, but as well, it's making sure, like, while I'm aware that my skills are limiting the bike if you like i think it gives me a great challenge to be like right this bike can do everything i know it can send 20 foot drops and it won't slap on me Um, i know it will survive and whatnot and i think knowing all that means that it gives me the confidence to be like right i really need to build my skills build my fitness and really get it to as high a level as i can so it gives you something to chase and i think the biggest thing is 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 not using the bike as an excuse either way so not blaming the bike for something that you can't do and then the other side of it as well is it's just making sure that you really build your fitness up and build your strength and work on your skills to be able to improve you. Like I put a post on Facebook the other day saying that the weakest component on the bike, uh, sorry, the weakest part of a bike probably isn't the component, it's you and it's the person behind the wheel. Uh, and it's so true. Like You want to be working on your fitness and your strength and yourself as much as you possibly can because the bike's going to do anything. Like if we put Jathan on a hardtail or even a rigid bike, I'm pretty sure he'd be beating me down <laughs> the vast majority of downhills. I did. Uh, I When I was racing at what was like my kind of top level, I had a full factory 
Yeti, um, uh, Law 9 and a 303, the racing bikes and stuff. And I used to spend ages like worrying about the details, you know, like cutting tires down and checking suspension settings and like really getting, trying to be as, as serious as I could about the bike. And I remember going to a race at Kersus, it was, and it was only a short track, but um, oh, I'm going to have to remember his name now. Anyway, I'll remember his name at some point, but yeah, he was a really good rider and he turned up on a DMR hardtail <laughs> with a totally bald tire and one expert. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, I'm probably worrying about the wrong things. And it was that kind of thing. It was like, you can worry about the details and if the details kind of make you happy and it's what the type of rider you are and that kind of stuff, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But actually, just ride your bike. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's a local descent near us. Uh, for anybody local to me, I know it'd be the minority of people. It's Marsden Moor descent. So me and Ozzy are both battling on there at the minute. It's quite long. It's about a mile and a half down. It's not particularly technical. Uh, it's not that steep either. There's a few steep bits at the end. There's a couple of pedally sections. And me and Ozzy have been fighting back and forwards on that. So I'll beat his time, then he'll beat mine, then I'll beat his. And then when he got his new prowler, he took some time off my time. And naturally, like, oh, I wonder if I need to uh, start getting some 29-inch wheels. Maybe that's the difference. And then Jack Redden, the downhiller, who's also been on this podcast as well. He, I think he's on a comment style now. I could be completely wrong, so I might mask that. Um, but he's on a 27.5-inch uh, bike anyway. And he went down and took something like two minutes off mine. And um, Aussie's times, like, he absolutely battered us. It might have been a minute. Whatever it was, like, we were going as fast as we possibly could. And we were getting, we're probably in top 40 out of 1,000 people who've been down there. So he's not necessarily slow times. But he just absolutely annihilated us on a 27 and a half inch bike and then that just really like solidified to me like it's not the 29 inch wheels or the 26 inch wheels like you just need to get faster let off the brakes and get better you look at the uh the analyze feature on strava and the sections that were like going through at seven mile an hour and he's going through at 30 mile an hour and you look at it and you where is the actual how do you even get through there um but I think it's so easy in this uh, in the mountain bike world to always think you need the carbon wheels or the bigger bike or the better bike. But it's so important to remember that you are genuinely going to be the one that's holding the bike back. Um, but that's empowering. That's great, that, because then it's not like, oh, I wish I could afford 1,500 quid for some new carbon wheels. It's, oh, you know what? I just need to get up earlier and go for a ride or I need to get my ass in the gym or I need to do some skills coaching or I need to do something. And that's empowering that because then, you know, actually it's me that's holding the bike back so I can do something about that. Like, that's not a depressing thing. That's a really empowering thing. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it, the industry works keeping it the other way as well because there's always yeah. people who throw a few quid at a problem. And it's yeah. always like, <laughs> if I get carbon wheels, that could solve it. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it's we all thrive on the... Uh, the the easy solution which is throw some money at the problem so yeah it's much easier than going to the gym so yeah it's it's getting that uh, combination of just enjoying it and it's basically the bikes is an accessory and an extension of who you are as a person and people always like to have something a little bit different a little bit custom just to stand out and yeah. it's just part of that just it's toys basically yeah. so and yeah, I don't personally think there's anything wrong with that. Like, how many Porsche 911s do you see on the road? Like, you're not telling me that 99% of the people that drive them drive them to the limit and, uh, like, it, it just doesn't. Like, you know, it's a 200-mile-an-hour car. Like, unless you live in Germany on the autobahn, you're not driving that. Um, I think there's both sides of it. So 
I personally don't think there's anything wrong with riding the cheapest possible bike and just getting out there and enjoying it. But then on the other side of it as well, you'll sometimes see people taking the piss out of all the gear and no idea and all that side of it. And I also don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like if you want to spend however much money you want to spend on the bike and you want to have all the latest gear and you're not the best rider, like if it makes you happy, like who cares? You're out there riding and if you love upgrading your bike and tinkering with it and looking at it in the front room and that's your pride and joy, then... I don't think you can judge either way. Like, I don't think you can judge people for having the cheapest possible bikes, not spending any money on it. And on the flip side, I don't think you can judge people for having seven bikes that are all worth 10 grand in the garage because that's what that person, you know, if they can afford that and that's what they enjoy doing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Um, I think the biggest thing is just making sure that it's accessible for all, really, and everybody feels welcome. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I do have, we had some funny stories when we were racing back in the days. People would spend, <laughs> like, I say, eight grand on a downhill bike. It's like, can you afford, can you come to France? Oh, I can't afford to go to France. And it's like, <laughs> why, why don't you spend three grand and then have an amazing summer of riding bikes? And it was just that kind of thing of, like, working out where your priorities are. And it's like, but I've got to have the best wheels, but then I can't afford to ride it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I suppose that kind of brings us into, in regards to, like, everybody being able to enjoy the ride. And... Um, onto e-bikes so hopefully if we've got time later me and Colin are gonna, gonna, going to be going for an e-bike ride later I've ridden them probably three times something like that every time I've been on one it's just been wicked fun I would say keep an eye on Facebook and obviously being so in tune with everything on social media as I have to be with MTB Fitness and um, there's, there seems to be less and less hate. Like, you've still got people out there who are just slating e-bikes and saying they're for cheats. But I would say that it's changing slightly. And I'd say compared to even, was it about a year ago when we did this podcast? Like, I'd say there seems to be less and less hate in the system around that. Um, tell us a little bit more about your opinion on e-bikes and where you stand on them. Yeah, well, I mean, I came at it from a bike racer. Uh, even when I commute, I still try and go as fast as I can or try and... Just yeah, it's always just about being just as fast. Just to interrupt, Cal. Whenever, whenever Cole rides, he wants to go as fast as he can. Yeah. So <laughs> I think um, I told this story last time. So, yeah. so the e-bikes <laughs> for me, I, I did think I was the same type of person. I was like, "What's the point of these? They're a bit of a cheap products. If you want to be fit, ride a bike." Mm. Like I couldn't see the point. And the more I think we have an advantage of the actual product itself has improved immensely over the past five years. You've got actual fun better things that are being built so it's not just a shopper it's now you've got full suspension e-bikes you've got actual proper products and they work really well so um yeah for me the type of person that can benefit from an e-bike is now everybody like there's no single person who can't tell me their life wouldn't be better with an e-bike unless the only type of person is a person who races like if you race uh, a high level and you don't want to compete on an e-bike then that's what you need a bike for but everybody else, if you're a mountain biker and you've got 10 hours a week to ride, you'll be better on an e-bike because you'll have, you can work just as hard on the climbs. In fact, you can turn the motor off so you'll work harder because it's a heavier yeah. bike. And on the downhills, you're going to get twice as many in. So you're improving. You'll be working upper body more because you've got a heavier bike and you'll be doing more runs. So you get better. So there's no one who won't benefit from an e-bike. Um, so yeah, it's brilliant. Now you get people who've got like damaged knees or uh, arthritis or all these reasons why you use it physically but even for a healthy physically active person they make sense mm -hmm. so the there's no disadvantage it's just a cost how would you yeah of course how would you say that somebody uh, probably like me and you really you we don't really well, i'm speaking for you but i don't compete i just want to be as fit and as fast as i can possibly be i would definitely have an e-bike um how would you say so i'll tell you what so someone like me so i ride three times a week two to three hours at a time usually that's pretty much my staple then the rest of the time is time in the gym or time doing intervals on a static bike that kind of thing 
how would you say that an e-bike would slot into my week? Because I know I wouldn't, 100% wouldn't want to replace my main bike with an e-bike because I love the fitness and I love the challenge of it. How would you use it in my three rides a week? Well, this is the thing. You, what you'll find is... It depends. Is, yeah. Well, no, it not depends, but you'd very quickly probably find that you don't ride your normal bike. <laughs> and that's the problem is that I, I mean, I've, I'm lucky because obviously I can pull bikes from here. So yeah. I can take a demo bike out. I can ride it no problem at all. But if I had to, if I just had one bike, it would be an e-bike. Really? Yeah, because there's no downside. Well, the, the downside is I can't race, but actually now you can race because there's e-bike races you can do. So you could race. But for me, I am limited the same way as you are. If I can do a two hour ride or a three hour ride, whatever it is, the e-bike makes more sense. The only reason it wouldn't make more sense is if the people I was riding with didn't have an e-bike. Yeah. Because then the advantages are, they disappear because you've got to wait for them anyway. <laughs> so there's no point. But if you are riding, like I've, last summer I took a bike out all the time. I like just took an e-bike for a ride. And you just go further, have more fun. And it means that even if you finish work and you're just like, I am totally knackered. I really cannot be bothered going for a ride. You get the e-bike out and you spin up the first climb and you're like, all right, this is brilliant. So if me and James did that ride last week, we could have gone for that ride. Mm -hmm. We would have been up to you, down the next side and away. Rather than spending half an hour on that climb. Mm -hmm. So it would have meant we've got, you fast forward all the boring bits. So you, you, you could ride two twice. So it means you get twice as much down in, in the ride. And it means that you can be knackered at the end of an hour ride, whereas actually you wouldn't be knackered. So you can actually get more fitness in, in the time. So a lot of the, a lot of the concerns about e-bikes and the lack of understanding about it is cured by people living with one or one of their mates having one for a bit because you just realize how brilliant they are. And yeah, there are, well, I don't know. No, there's not that. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm totally converted. Okay. Um, and uh, if I had to buy one bike now, it would be an e-mountain right. bike. And you find that it's even less, we were talking about being people being overbiked before. Mm -hmm. Now with e-bikes, you're never going to be overbiked because you can buy a 160 mil travel bike and you can commute on it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you just, there's no reason not to have a bigger bike. So people yeah. buy hardtails and like, oh, well, I might as well have a full suspension bike. So the only reason not to buy one is because it's more expensive. But if you're looking at spending 4,000 on a normal mountain bike, I mean, mm -hmm. it's a lot of money, obviously, but people do spend that on a yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. brand you're yeah. looking at. If you look at a 4,000 pound e-bike, the difference is minor. You're not going to get Kashima. You might not get, a, you might get one group set down or something. But actually, you get a motor and a battery. Yeah. Whereas if you're spending a thousand pounds, then the difference is massive. Mm -hmm. So you would get a pretty rubbishy bike for a thousand pounds, but you get quite a good hardtail mountain bike for a thousand pounds. So the more you spend, the better value the e-bike seems because it's a less of a percentage of the value. So yeah, for us, it's um, they're just a brilliant product. I can't. That's one of the reasons why when you said you come over, I was like, we'll go for an e-bike because yeah, yeah, yeah. you can see we'll go for an hour's ride and you can see just how much more we can get done yeah. and how much more time on the tech stuff you get for no disadvantage. So if you're absolutely, if we went on a ride now for an hour, one ride, say this week was a Prowler ride or a, sorry, a normal bike ride. Next week was an e-bike ride. You nail yourself as hard as you can for an hour on each. Would you say that you'd be equally knackered? So the same hour on an e-bike or the same hour on a normal bike, both going as hard as you can. Do you think you'd be as equally tired? Yes, probably more tired on the e-bike because it manoeuvring on the downhill yeah, way. ways. On the uphill, all that happens is if you you can make the decision. If you want to yeah. go full gas, you go full gas on an e-bike. That full gas is just a higher speed. Mm -hmm. You're still the same heart rate, still the same zone, still the same training. You've just got the top kind of a bit quicker so yes you'll have done less time on the climb 
but you'll do that climb twice. So actually you've done more time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a weird thing to get used to because they're not, because legally the assistant cuts out at 15 and a half miles yeah. an hour. So it's not like it's assisting you everywhere. So if you're riding on the flat, yeah. on a, in a straight line, you're almost slower. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But on every climb and out of every corner, you get the assistance. Yeah. So it is a different type of riding. It's not just mountain biking with a motor. It's, yeah. You have to ride it differently because of the way the assistance kicks in. You when you push the pedals, it gives you the assistance. So if you're kind of freewheeling at something, it doesn't mm-hmm. assist. There's no throttle. So it is a different thing. It's not motorbikes. It's not yeah. pushbikes. Oh, it's gotcha. just in the middle. So it is a weird. It's just a different type of riding. Um, but yeah. I would say that it would also, kind of the flip side to it, it would be easy to not be disciplined on an easy bike and just, particularly on the climbs, just have an easy ride everywhere. I know when we rode, was it Delamere? When we did that test, remember I came and helped out doing the test rides that oh, time? Oh no, Dolby. Oh, Dolby, yeah, and they have the yeah. World Cup tracks, don't they, there? Yeah. So Cole was on his normal scarp, like, I don't know, whatever it is, seven grand, cross country, everything lightweight, like carbon everything, and we did the big, long, steep climb. Um, no idea what the name of it is, but it's just vertical pretty much it's not technical in any way and Cole was absolutely cane now I think in fact on that World Cup cross-country lap I'm sure Cole set the um, com for that on Strava I was on an e-bike and on the same climb where Cole was absolutely like 95% max heart rate killing it I was sat down on the e-bike one-handed um, just like turning around and watching Cole and I beat Cole by a good minute to the top and I was on I was slightly out of breath but I wasn't fully out of breath so I would say you would have to be disciplined with it if you're a fit rider and you want to nail yourself on an e-bike. Like what I, I had it in turbo mode, so it was just a piece of cake. I was going up pretty much at 15 mile an hour and it was easy to get to the top of the climb. But if I'd have dropped the assistance down a couple of notches, I'm sure I could have been riding next to Cole or having a heavier bike and still had a workout. But I think you do need to be disciplined with it if you want to get fitter. In my opinion, coming at it, probably from a trainer's side of it, it will be easy to just get stuck into a rut of not really pushing yourself um, and just keeping turbo mode on, always doing the same loop for an hour and not nailing yourself. But then you could argue that's the same on a real bike because you could just go for an hour loop and just stick at six miles. If you always ride at six mile an hour on the climb, you could just stay in the granny gear and just spin your way up to the top of the climb and not nail yourself. So I suppose you you either want to nail yourself and you want to get fitter or you don't. Um, and that's probably actually the same for a bike as it is an e-bike. Yeah. Well, that's it. If we go for a, the ride, we'll go on this afternoon when we finish here. Um, there's a long climb up through the golf course and it'll be the same. If yeah, I was I on the scarp, it. yeah. If I was on the scarp, and you were on an e-bike, you'd yeah. be spinning up, chatting away, giggling at me as I was killing myself. But because we're both on e-bikes, yeah. we'll go at it full power. Okay. Yeah. So you'll see at the top, you're like, all oh, right, we've had a proper workout, but we'll do the downhill again, yeah. and you ride back up it again. Okay. And it's like, all oh, right, that's taken less time than if we had done it. So you've still, you're right totally that it's a decision you can make at every level. Like if you've just got a normal bike, you can decide just to sit at home, or you can decide to go for a spin, or you can decide to really push it and work. And that is exactly the same with an e-bike. Mm-hmm. That actually, yeah, you can make a decision to keep the motor off, you can put it in turbo, you can put it in sport, you can put it in EMTB, or you can just spin. Mm-hmm. And you can still, even in turbo, absolutely 
destroy yourself yeah. if you want to. Yeah. And that's a conscious decision. Yeah, I suppose it would be when it tops out at 15 mile an hour, it would be trying to dig deep to get it to 16. Mm. And if you try that, like it's so hard because the bikes are, what do they weigh, about 25 kilos? Yeah. Are they? So they are like big, heavy bikes. Um, it's funny on the downhills, I've only had very limited experience with them on the downhills, but they feel, you can really feel the low center of gravity because the battery, particularly on the uh, KTMs, is like right at the bottom of the down tube, isn't it? Yeah, you can see it there, the battery in the motor. The battery kind of sits here a bit higher up, like it just sits all the way down the down tube and then the engine is right at the bottom where the cranks are the engine is probably not the right word but you know what i mean um so you can really feel it in the corners like you feel that low center of gravity um, and they, they are a lot harder to flick um i would definitely say on a downhill if i could choose between from what i've ridden if i could choose between going down a downhill on an e-bike or going down on my yeti it would be an absolute no-brainer i choose a yeti every time but I can see the benefits of having three downhills in the same amount of time that I could have one. Um, like the climb that Cole was on about then, is it's a mild road, it's quite steep on the way up and it does take a good 30, 30 minutes to get to the top. And then the traverse over the top is probably another 30 minutes to a good descent there. So, And then the descent takes two minutes and you're at the bottom. So that's a good hour and you could probably do it in 20 minutes all in. So you, I bet you would shave you're probably talking 30% of the time to do it on an e-bike. So in that same hour, I bet you could do two or three descents in the same amount of time. Well, a lot of the people that I hear it's cheating from are happy to use a chairlift at a Fort William yeah. or happy to pay for a bus at Bike Park Wales. And it's like, <laughs> you can't have it always. Yeah. And this is a solution for people who... Well, it's a solution for a lot of people. And yeah, I'm not saying, like if I if I could only have one bike, I'd have an e-bike for a variety of reasons of being time limited as much as anything else. Mm -hmm. But it also means that, yeah, most times if you go for a ride, the climbs are the least technical bits and the downhill bits are the most fun bits. Yeah. So if you can fast forward these technical bits and do more tech stuff, that's great. And yes, the downside is the weight on the downhills. It's more planted. You can get away with bigger tires because you want the drag and that kind of stuff, but it is not as much fun to chuck around. But you only have to see the likes of Sam Pilgrim and stuff riding their e-bikes is that you can totally mm. have some fun on them. It's just the fact that it weighs, well, basically weighs like a downhill bike used yeah. to. So you have to use it that way. And the fact that the e-bikes have longer chain stays as well because you don't want the motor looping out. Because okay. if you have a short chain stay like a normal bike and you have the motor on it because of the extra power it gives you out, if you're on a loose climb with that extra assistance, it just loops the front end out. Okay. So they put a longer chain stay on an e-bike to give you more control. Yeah. So you gain a lot of, traction and um it just feels more controlled in on the climbs and also on the straights and stuff but yeah you do lose a little bit of fun in the turns so mm -hmm. it's always a compromise yeah yeah for sure and um, the thing is if you a lot of mountain bikers when they get deep into it will start buying more and more and more bikes um so the ideal would be to have a variety of bikes like you can have a slow travel one a big travel enduro bike and an e-bike that would be my ideal and they can yeah. just choose what to ride <laughs> n plus one is the yeah. classic bike. Yeah. <laughs> so i suppose the last thing that would be good to talk about um you well obviously Cole's really busy because he runs his own business like importing and exporting and doing everything anybody self-employed or who has their own business knows that you, you work every hour under the sun um I imagine it can sometimes be hard to find the time to ride and to train and to do all that side of things but you went through a period last year where you rode every day for 30 days didn't you so talk a bit more about first of all the struggles of finding the time to ride and train because I know like most people you struggle to do that um, and then how did you manage to ride 30 days like did you have to sacrifice work did you have to sacrifice like relationships or talk a bit more around that yeah, so it's been something that I, I, I've i always struggled with because 
sometimes you fall out of love with racing bikes a bit and you have to do something different and things and especially with the enduro side because it was basically three days away every weekend racing i was just like i just couldn't do it so i was trying to find ways of getting my competitive fix but also riding and that's why i did a bit more on the road because it means i can race for an hour locally and come back and it's all done so yeah i've always i know i'm a better person if i've ridden a bike i don't have to do a huge amount like i try and set a target now it's about 100 miles a week and even if i do half of that on the turbo with swift that's fine it's still enough to make me feel like i'm not wasting like i need to do something to get the exercise um and fitting it in is just a like a constant reminder that i'm better and i work better and i'm a nicer person and everything's better if i do do it uh and it's always easier when there's other people like the other week i, w- I was never going to go for a ride that day and then ozzy was like right we're going at 5 a in the morning i was like that sounds ridiculous <laughs> i'm up for it <laughs> uh so yeah we ended up doing a seven hour ride and then yeah, coming back to work it, yeah it was a good ride but i would never have done it yeah. on my own yeah 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 so yeah so having someone to say to you right i'll meet you at 5 a.m at that car park let's do it it was like okay <laughs> on that day i couldn't uh, i couldn't ride with them that day so i knew ozzy was going out riding at 5 a.m he used to be a farmer so that's kind of like just normal time for him he doesn't mind mornings um if i have to i'm like cold like i wouldn't be up riding at that time unless i met ozzy and then i would and i probably moaned for the first 15 minutes <laughs> um but on that day i uh, i think it was one o'clock something like that i checked strava and there wasn't a ride on strava so i was like oh i mustn't have gone out in the end and then he texted me at about three o'clock and he just finished it was an epic ride. You like forty miles and six thousand feet of climbing. Yeah, whatever it was, it was a beast anyway. Yeah, well, it was just kind of the last few weeks. I've been getting up at. There's been at least one day a week, but I've, I've been up at four a.m. Wow. to drive to somewhere like Ipswich or okay. Swansea to go for work. And I was like, if I can get up that early, yeah, to just drive so I avoid the traffic, I can get up that early to go for a ride. Yeah, and it was a beautiful morning. Like sunrise over the moors was amazing, and we saw like an owl flying across, and we saw the hairs up on the moor, like Arctic. I was like. This is not a hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, to do something I enjoy, and I can always jump out of bed when I'm going for a ride. It's never a hard like decision to to mm-hmm. get out of bed to do that. So, yeah, it's just finding times like that when you're like, right, when I make the effort, it is worthwhile. And whether that be right, I'm going to go out to the shed to do an hour on the turbo, or yeah, get up early in the morning to go for a ride, or right, remember to this is an opportunity to take e-bikes out and I'll feel better if we do it, even though I'm thinking, oh, I should probably do some emails or should yeah, do this. Yeah, yeah. And that was that 30-day thing last year. It was 30 days of April. I think it's some industry thing that started in America. And it just makes you realize that actually, yeah, I can ride to the Chinese to go and get my takeaway rather than taking the car. Or I can put my car bike in the car and before I go for meetings in the morning and go for a little spin around somewhere. Yeah. And it was just actually making the bike a choice and having to do it for 30 days was, was kind of quite eye-opening. I didn't do it this year because I, I think work was just insane. I was away for quite a bit and I was just like, right, you know what, I'm not going to do it. But it's nice to know you can do it. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You've touched actually on one of the big kind of secrets for me for getting ride timing. So I'll go through times when work's really busy juggling clients and MTB fitness and then you think you don't have time for ride. Uh, I ride, sorry. One of the big things for me is what Cole said there. A lot of it is meeting somebody else. Like I, I, I know full well that the chances of me getting up at 5 a.m. and going for a ride off my own back are pretty slim. Like I'd love to say that I'm disciplined and I'll jump out of bed on my own and it'll be fine. I'll crack on. Most times I won't. Like I'll snooze before you know it. It's 6 a.m 
a.m. It's too late. I can't go. The secret for me to do it in those situations is always meet somebody else. If I'm meeting Ozzy, I will 100% be there on time because somebody else is holding me accountable. Like, there's no question. I won't text him and cancel. Like, I will just be there. Um, but if I was trying to hold myself accountable to doing it, I would struggle more. Um, even once, Sophie, uh, on a Saturday night, Sophie had a friend's round and they were stopping over. And I told Sophie that I would get out of the way for them on Sunday morning so that they had the house to themselves and stuff like that. I said I'd go riding at 6 a.m. So she told her friends that they'd have the house to get like to themselves and that was that. So when the alarm went off on Sunday morning, because I had the social pressure of promising Sophie like I'd give her the space for the house and a friend knew as well, I just got straight up. I didn't snooze. I got up and I went. For me, if I just had in that social pressure aspect to it, that helps like immeasurably. Whereas other times, I know that I will just end up lying in. So rather than being blinkered to it and every Sunday morning, I could just set an alarm for 5 a.m. and be like, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then not doing it one week and then trying again the next week and not doing it and then trying again the next week and not doing it. It's understanding where maybe your, your weaknesses are, if you like. Like I know that I might not do it off my own back. And then it's thinking, right, well, if I know that, the better thing to do then is to agree to meet somebody else. Because if I do that, it's 100% certainty that I'll do it. And as long as you've got another riding buddy who wants to ride more, then you can do it. So don't, especially a lot of the people who listen to this are older. When you get into your 40s and your 50s and your 60s, you've, you've been in the same routine for a lot longer. So it's easy to forget that 4 a.m. exists and it's easy to forget that rides at 10 p.m. exist. But try and like look at it with fresh eyes and think, you know what, we, we could go for a ride at 4 a.m. once a week. Like we could ride to the takeaway, like Cole just said. We could just do little things that you never think about like 10 p.m you can go to the shed and jump on the turbo and do an hour don't think that just because this is the way that you've done things for the past 10 years that it has to stay that way like you can mix things up and find different ways of getting you fixed either through riding or training yeah because that's it you don't have to put like a, a spare wheel on your mountain bike and you can put it on the turbo trainer and there's there's just loads of different ways of, of fitting something in and it only has to be an hour or whatever mm. it is you can fit in and it just makes a real difference and you'll go to bed actually not just mentally drained from the day of thinking about work and that kind of stuff, but actually yeah. physically being like, right, I feel as I've done something. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. One big myth as well, and I think this would be quite a good place to end on, is that when you're knackered, if you're going through a stressful time at work or family things are happening or you're really tired, you can often think that you're too tired to exercise, but actually the complete reverse of that is true in that exercise gives you more energy. It doesn't take energy as such. Um, you'll have been there yourself like I always feel more awake after I've ridden or after I've trained rather than less tired so when you get home from work it's six o'clock you've had a really busy day you think you're too tired and you think you need to rest actually the best thing for you to increase your energy and increase your mood will be to go for an hour ride and like you don't have to absolutely nail yourself it doesn't have to be a hundred percent effort it can just be a cruise but get out there and you'll find that you have more energy not less and it's only when you get into that routine of riding or training every day doing like four five six sessions a week that then you start to get more energy and you're in the momentum of it and it's easier to keep it going. Whereas if you just try and ride once a week uh, or just do anything once a week, you'll probably find that your energy levels are a lot lower through the week. So doing more actually gives you more energy and it makes it easier to do it. Yeah, I think the chances of someone who's got a full-time job and a normal life overtraining mm -hmm. is kind of slim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's something that you don't have to worry about like having these kind of rest days and that kind of stuff because actually if you yeah. sit at a desk that's a rest day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a, um, a hard thing to, to kind of, you don't have to worry about overdoing these things. Yeah, and you true. can, you just, you just feel that actually if I've had a good week, like you'll know, you so you can feel it in your body if you, if you have done something too much, but it's just mm. not likely in a normal working environment. So yeah. yeah, yeah, it's been good. 
I think that's a really good way to end. Uh, I'll put you on the spot now, Carl. Is it something that you'd like to end on? Some kind of message for the MTB Fitness listeners? Anything it can be. Uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing how you enjoy this e-bike ride. Okay. Because uh, it'll be, I think, the first e-bike ride you've done where yeah. there hasn't been someone not on an e-bike. Yeah. So yeah, me true. and Tom, Tommy works here, uh, won the cross-country yesterday juniors. He is a quick rider. So he's going to take an e-bike, I'll take an e-bike, okay. and you can take an e-bike. And we'll see you again with it. What Cole's saying there is he's going to batter me so that I never see e-bikes are easy. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be fun, hopefully. Well, I'll report back. Um, you probably already follow on Facebook or Instagram. Sorry, I just bashed the mic. You probably already follow on Facebook or Instagram or on my daily emails. But if you don't and you want to keep up to date with this kind of stuff, make sure you do. Facebook and Instagram, it's MTB Fitness. And if you go on to mtb.fitness, that's the website, go to free daily emails. You can sign up for daily emails. So Monday to Friday, I send out loads of... Um, well, Monday to, Friday, Monday to Friday, I send out free tips. So tonight's, for example, will be how I found this e-bike ride. So if you want to find out how I got on, um, email me and I'll send you the link to the article. Uh, so yeah, that's been good. And after this, in the outro, I'll um, tell you where to go follow Cole and go follow KTM and all that side of things. So stay on for that. But yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Cole. It's been good. Round two. Nice one. Thanks a lot. Welcome back podcast. I hope you really, really enjoyed this episode with Col. We'll be back on Wednesday with another episode. And please remember to review on iTunes and subscribe for all future episodes. Thanks very much.